Save me climbing the stairs when I can speak from here. Um, our second reading this evening comes from the book of Exodus, where we left it this morning. Uh, we're starting in chapter 12, verse 21. Exodus 12, verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once. And select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land, to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Amen. So this weekend, I think most, if not all, of the paraphernalia associated with Halloween has been put away till next year. After all, it is only five days from Halloween to Guy Fawkes Night. And once all the fireworks have been let off, well, next stop is Christmas, isn't it? For the first time this year, in addition to pumpkins or skeletons outside the house, I've seen giant spiders on display, which, if possible, look even more creepy than the real thing. Apparently we are programmed, we are hardwired from birth to be afraid of spiders. When images of spiders and snakes were shown to six-month-old infants, their pupils dilated, a sign of stress and alarm, a sign of fear, in a way that didn't happen when pictures of fish or flowers were put on the screen in front of them. So it's okay to be afraid of spiders. You are not a wimp. At least, that's what I tell myself, having been really startled the other morning by a giant spider placed on top of a shrub right by the path where I was walking. Horsham mostly is a nice town. At least in the part of town where I live, there seems to be an unwritten code that you don't get people calling at your door trick-or-treating if you haven't got a pumpkin or some other Halloween paraphernalia on display. Trick-or-treaters pass over houses that don't have a pumpkin on the doorstep, and I'm quite glad of that, really, if the truth be told. 
On the night when Israel left Egypt, if you didn't want your home to be visited by the destroyer tasked with killing all the firstborn, you put a sign outside your door. The blood of the Passover lamb, slain at twilight, and you daubed it on the top of the door frame and both sides of the, of the door with a sprig of hyssop. So when the Lord went through the land, he would see the blood on the top and the sides of the door and he would pass over that doorway and not permit the destroyer to enter that home. That is why to this day, the festival the Jews hold every year to commemorate this event is known as Passover. From one generation to the next, they tell their children about the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared their homes when he struck down the Egyptians. The blood on the doorposts protected everyone inside the house and kept them safe. Indeed, they're expressly told not to set foot outside the house all that night. Don't go out until the morning. The blood was a sign that everyone within that house belonged to the Lord. And so their houses were spared the destructive plague that went through the whole of Egypt that night. Every house that was not marked by blood on the doorframe lost someone that night. And there was wailing and lamentation throughout the land of Egypt. But the blood of the Lamb saved God's people from destruction. As with the previous plagues of flies, the plague on the livestock, the plagues of hail and darkness, the Lord made a distinction between the Israelites and the land of Egypt. But in the case of the death of the firstborn, the blood outside the houses of the Israelites was a clear and visible sign that the people inside belonged to God. The blood of the lamb outside meant there was no loss of life inside. Why blood? Why did blood make the difference? It's never clearly explained. We may suppose that perhaps in some sense the life of the lamb was sacrificed in the place of the life of whatever firstborn child happened to be in the house. That's a possible explanation, though scripture never joins the dots explicitly in that way. What we do know is that sacrificial blood had the capacity to consecrate, to set aside what was holy to God from what was profane, common or ordinary. And possibly this is the meaning of the blood on the doors of the Israelite houses. The, house, the blood signified that those inside the house were holy. They were set apart to God. And so they were not touched by the plague of destruction. The association of Jesus and his death with the sacrifice of the Passover lamb pervades the New Testament. It's found in Paul, who tells the Corinthians that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's not an image that he develops or expounds at all. Presumably when he was in Corinth, he preached a sermon on this subject and so could assume that his readers would be able to unpack his meaning for themselves. What does it mean that Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us? In 1 Corinthians 5, he's actually far more interested in interpreting the meaning of the festival of unleavened bread, which accompanied Passover. Get rid of the leaven of malice and deceit, all that nastiness. Instead, let's keep the feast with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's walk in the light with each other. 
But for those who've not had the benefit of hearing Paul preach on the Passover, how do we understand what it means for Jesus to be our Passover lamb sacrificed for us? The image invites prayerful and creative reflection as we read about Passover in the Old Testament and Jesus as the Lamb of God in the New. And try and figure out how Jesus as the Passover Lamb helps us to understand the significance of his death. And there is no one right answer, because a whole variety of images and pictures are used in the New Testament about Jesus as the Lamb. We've had one or two of them tonight from Revelation. Peter clearly saw Jesus as the Passover Lamb when he talked about us being redeemed from the empty way of life of past generations with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That reference to a lamb without blemish clearly associates Jesus with the Passover lamb because the Passover sacrifice had to be that of a young, a one-year-old male without defect. Although the sacrificial animal didn't need to be a lamb, it could be taken from the sheep or from the goats. Peter uses the imagery of Jesus as the Passover lamb to interpret his death in terms of redemption. We've been redeemed by his blood. And that makes sense. The blood of the lamb redeemed the Israelites from Egypt in the sense it saved them from destruction. And it also redeemed them in the sense that the death of the Passover lamb heralded their liberation from slavery. The lambs died and they were set free. The lambs died and God redeemed his people and led them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In the same way, Jesus' death is the means by which God redeems us. He liberates us from slavery to the powers of sin and death. He claims us as his own people. We are spared destruction. God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When Jesus died as the Passover lamb, he brought about our redemption. Then at the beginning of John's Gospel, John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, Look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. People puzzle over precisely what John meant by that. Is he saying that Jesus is the Passover lamb who is sacrificed? If so, the Passover lamb never really took away the sin of the people. That wasn't quite how it worked. The Passover lamb wasn't an atoning sacrifice. So is he talking about Jesus as the kind of the lamb of the sin offering? If if you sinned, a lamb was sacrificed, and and your sin was dealt with that way. Atonement was made. The blood cleansed uh, the holy place from the defilement of your sin, and you were forgiven. Is he talking about the, the lamb as a sin offering? or the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. That, that kind of resonates with the, with the goat on the Day of Atonement that took away the sin of the people, carried it off into the wilderness and disappeared and was never seen again, bearing the sin in that sense. There is no single Old Testament picture that quite fits what John says when he says Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't have a problem with that because scripture invites us to reflect creatively on how we are saved and redeemed by Jesus' death. No single model or picture of the atonement is enough or adequate to capture precisely what Jesus has done for us. The pictures are there for us to ponder, to reflect on, to pray about, 
to read about in Scripture and say, what, you know, what is God saying to me through this? And there is no single right answer. Because at different times, a different picture will resonate with God's people. Yes, that's what I needed to know at this point in time. In his commentary on John's Gospel, Raymond Brown makes a compelling case for finding an allusion to the Passover lamb in John's comment that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 19, 14, Jesus is condemned to death at noon on the day before Passover, the very time when the priests began to kill the Passover lamb in the temple. That's not a coincidence. John is making a point there about Jesus being the Passover lamb. When Jesus is on the cross, a sponge full of wine is raised up to him on hyssop. And it's hyssop that was used, actually, to daub the blood on the the doorposts and and the lintel of the door frames at Passover time. In 1936, John sees a fulfilment of the scripture in the fact that none of Jesus' bones were broken. And that quite clearly refers to Exodus 12.46, which states that no bone of the Passover lamb should be broken. Scripture is fulfilled. And Jesus is described as the lamb in another work by John, or Johannine work, Revelation, and the Passover motif appears there. Revelation 5.9, the ransoming blood of the lamb, a reference particularly appropriate in the Passover motif, where the mark of the lamb's blood spared the houses of the Israelites. Jesus, the Passover lamb, taking away the sin of the world. The, the, the Old Testament pattern is fulfilled in Christ. And we're invited to interpret Jesus' death in the light of what has gone beforehand in the Old Testament. That's why the Old Testament is important, because it enables us to understand the new better and to pick up, you know, what does Jesus' death mean? Well, you can see it in the light of the Passover, and it helps us understand what Jesus did and what that means for us. Luke, Luke comes it a different way again. In his Gospel, as in Matthew and Mark, Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples the night before he dies. And in Luke's Gospel, Jesus says that the cup of wine they are to drink is the blood of the new covenant promised by Jeremiah, who talks of God making a new covenant with his people, which will not be like the covenant which he made with their forefathers when he took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. It's a development, it's a step forward, it's something different, it's something new. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus' celebration of the Passover meal with his disciples marks the inauguration of the new covenant between God and his people. Under that new covenant, God promises he will put his law in our minds and write it on our hearts. He will be our God and we will be his people. We will all know him for ourselves, from the least of us to the greatest. He will forgive our wickedness and remember our sins no more. The Exodus is history, This is a new exodus, a fresh act of redemption achieved through Jesus dying as our Passover lamb, sealing a new covenant between God and his people. So, back to Egypt, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, marking out the inhabitants of each Israelite house as holy, people set apart to God, people to be rescued from death and redeemed from slavery. Thankfully, we don't need to daub our front doors with the blood of a sacrificial animal to mark us out as belonging to God's people tonight. But how do we make that connection? For us, the cup of wine we share at communion represents the blood of Christ, which was shed for us to redeem us. 
to rescue us from death, to set us aside as God's holy people, to seal God's eternal covenant with us. We are marked out as holy as we drink this cup which represents the blood of Jesus which sets us apart to God. We are marked out as people whom Christ has redeemed as we share this bread and we drink the wine. We celebrate the truth that Christ, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed for us. We've been redeemed by his blood. We've been set free from sin and death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We belong to God for eternity. He has established an everlasting covenant with us. We've been made holy through the blood of Christ. And as we eat and drink, we say in our hearts, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away my sin. And as we eat and drink, we put our trust in him for forgiveness, for eternal life, for the love of God for us and the presence of God with us. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for laying down your life for me. Amen.